Hello, and welcome back to Intersectional Radio. It's Gigi and Joe here, and as always, we're going to be finding relationships between frameworks developed in two papers on seemingly separate social issues that are structurally embedded in society. However, today's episode is special because material is directly relevant to Joe's life. So our topic for today is the concept of white nativism in America. Nativism refers to a xenophobic mindset among native-born citizens of any given country. It emphasizes the in-group's need to preserve a nation's cultural integrity slash purity by opposing the influence of immigrants. In the U.S., nativism is based on the dominant conflation between white and American. So white nativism is the conservative mindset of seeing anyone who isn't white as an outsider and threat that needs to be opposed. So we're going to explore white nativism's structural link between two completely different social issues. First, the racial politics of reproduction resulting from the 9-11 project. And second, the international division of reproductive labor. As someone who relies on the regular assistance of domestic care workers who are mostly female immigrants of color, Joe will relate the analysis of both social issues to the context of his own life. And we're super excited to make connections that incorporate his personal experience. Shall we dive into our discussion? Yeah, let's do it. I'll introduce our first social issue for consideration, which is the racial politics of reproduction in America, as described in the paper by Carmen R. Lugo Lugo and Mary K. Bloodsworth Lugo titled Anchor Terror Babies and Latina Bodies, Immigration Rhetoric in the 21st Century and the Feminization of Terrorism. Here's a summary of the first issue. The horrific events of 9-11 led to a socio-political shift in America where the urgent focus became the determination to eradicate the threat of terrorism to America's security and values. The Lugo Lugo paper cites the formation of this socio-political priority as the 9-11 project, which included changes in policy and also an attitude toward suspicion of non-white bodies as terrorists. This mindset of protecting America both in the sense of physical safety and in protecting its cultural identity manifested as hostility toward outsiders, even when they posed no terrorist threat. This mindset extended to the issue of illegal immigration from south of the U.S. border, particularly to the perception of Mexican immigrants as invaders and infiltrators. And this threat of terrorism, which is usually associated with men, has become feminized through the concept of anchor babies and their alleged use for border infiltration. This is what we mean by racial policies of reproduction. It dehumanizes Latina women by essentially seeing them as animals who use their bodies as vehicles for border crossing. What follows are key elements that Lugo Lugo lists as part of the 9-11 project, the passing of the Patriot Act, as well as the formation of ICE and the TSA, an increase in DHS funding with efforts directed toward things like counterterrorism instead of national defense spending. In fact, because of the increased emphasis on counterterrorism, people could be deported as they were in the country legally while not being U.S. citizens, if they did something that could, in some sense of the imagination, identify them as terrorists. All in all, 
The sum total of these changes I've listed contributed to the post-9-11 racial paradigm shift. Muslim and Latin American immigrants became the object of public American xenophobia and vitriol. This niche was formerly occupied by Russians and people of the, from the Soviet Union before its fall. But the paradigm shift changed everything. Thank you, Joe. That was a great explanation. Now we're going to transition to our second topic, which is the International Division of Reproductive Labor, as explained in a paper by Rossel Perenas. Perenas develops a framework that she calls the Global Transfer of Domestic Care, and she does this through study on the experience of migrant Filipina domestic workers. What we learn is that globalization has caused an international division of reproductive labor, meaning that as women increasingly join the workforce in more developed Western countries, they rely on female immigrants from lesser developed nations in the global south to fill their former role in the household as domestic workers. These domestic workers are usually women of color who emigrate from underdeveloped home countries where they often have high-level professional training but choose to come to places like the United States where they can make more money to send back to their families abroad while suffering the consequences of lower social mobility. But with this remittance money, these domestic workers in turn hire their own housemaids of lower status within their home country to fulfill their own motherly and domestic duties in the households that they left behind. So what we see here is something called the nanny chain, or what Perenas refers to as the global transfer of domestic care. Even though people say that women entering the workforce in Western countries is progress towards gender equality, this puts into perspective that it really isn't. In reality, that perceived progress was only made possible through the formation of this nanny chain which is a power hierarchy among women who successfully take advantage of other women in lower social classes. And this hierarchy of exploitation is guised by the favorable perception of social progress towards gender equality in Western countries. To quote Perennis directly, the issue of gender equality is not being changed by this global transfer of labor. This nanny chain system maintains it in both the receiving and original countries. Wealthy women in Western countries owe what they perceive as progress to the immigrant women of color to whom they defer their domestic obligations. And they do so without crediting the role of domestic care work with the dignity that it deserves. Finally, to quote Katz Rothman, who is referenced in this paper, when performed by mothers, we call this mothering. When performed by hired hands, we call it unskilled. Okay, thank you for listening to both of our explanations and bearing with us through that. Now it's time for the fun part where we start our dialogue relating both issues. And now I wanna start that out by inviting Joe to actually offer his own reflection on the nanny chain as an employer of many female immigrants of color for domestic care work. And it's important to note that while he's not, um, he's not going to be relating to this as a female within this hierarchy of power and exploitation. He's just going to be talking about it um, by contextualizing his own experience. So, Joe, um, first of all, thank you so much for being open to talk about this. Um, what was going through your mind when you were reading about the nanny chain? Yeah, Gigi, thanks for asking. You know, I was I was really surprised to be getting a chance to learn about something that was actually so relevant and uh, relatable to things that are going on in my life because as um, I happen to be a paralyzed veteran and, um, you know, as a paraplegic, I 
you know, I, I, I could use quite a bit of help at times in, in my home uh, where I live in my apartment because I do live I do live on my own. I have nurses who visit, but uh, there are always things to do, places to clean, stuff that needs to get done that really can't be done in a wheelchair. So I'm fortunate to um, employ several domestic workers who come in and they help me get dressed. They clean me up through the VA, which is the Veterans Administration under the government of the United States of America. I get insurance that covers um, home health aids and home nursing that uh, I get from a company called Lumen Christie. Lumen Christie contracts with the VA and Lumen Christie actually is an equal opportunity employer and they employ, you know, pretty much exclusively women, um, immigrants of color and five out of six of the home health aides with whom I've worked, they were all women. Oh, wow. And yeah, and in fact, you'd be surprised, but most of them are even college educated, which, which reminds me of reading about how women from the Philippines who are a part of the nanny chain find better wages working as domestic workers in the United States than they do working with their degree in their home country. Yeah, yeah. Most people don't realize that these immigrant women of color who are domestic workers are actually coming from countries in which they are high-level professionals and then they come to places like America and they have to suffer lower social mobility and um, I think it's crazy that they don't actually get credited with the same dignity that women who are mothers and perform the same acts of domestic care receive in society and it kind of reminds me of it just relates to this idea of motherhood that connects both topics I think I kind of want to refer to this one quote from the Lugo Lugo paper by Nira Yuval Davis um, who claims that women who are seen as being too belonging to the nation can be articulated as the symbolic cultural and biological reproducers of that nation but women who are considered abject to the nation can be articulated as symbolic, cultural, and biological reproducers of threat. And that ties into nativism, and I think that connects both ways, you know, to both articles. I definitely see the connection there, especially when you mention nativism. Mm -hmm. As you said, uh, women who are pretty much, for economic reasons, forced to come to the United States in order to have the best opportunity to bring money home to their family. Yeah. You know, sure, they get the lucrative opportunity for working as domestic workers, yet they have to deal with the social rejection and xenophobia yeah. and all of this, all of these negative forces that act against them while they're here. Mm -hmm. One woman actually in, in the Perennius paper who is an immigrant from the Philippines, of course. Um, she talked about how back home in the Philippines, she was um, a supervisor and she had maids and she directed them to clean the corners. And so she said she would cry and feel like, wow, this is not who she is, you know, um, in the country that she's doing work for. So it's like they're able to be making more money and growing more wealth but they have to they have to accept 
lower status, which is a super weird thing um, because people don't recognize that in the United States. And- they don't, and it's, it's really unfortunately backwards. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, to, I wanted to go back and touch on the piece of motherhood when you brought it up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because women who, uh, if we go back to the concept of anchor babies, women who come into the, allegedly, of course, come into the country pregnant and have children with the goal of, you know, tying their presence in the country to their children's resulting citizenship, they are get to be, they're called, you know, terrorist mothers who bring in anchor babies. And of course, Mm -hmm. when that narrative suits the xenophobic forces that work against these women. And that relates back to the hierarchy of womanhood because it's based on race, class, and nation. And that's how you kind of tie the two systems together that seem completely different. Um, And so actually, I'm curious to know if your status as a veteran um, like affects your perspective on um, the sociopolitical 9-11 project that's engendered this fear and like... Um, like hostility against immigrants or just against um, brown bodies, just bodies that aren't white? You know, that is a really good question, especially since during my time in the Marines, I was surrounded by a lot of folks who thought that way. Um, I don't want to call them right-wing nut jobs or anything, but Mm. (laughs) yeah, Yeah. (laughs) of course, of course, I, I respect all of them immensely for their service, and I'm honored to be respected for my service. However, mm-hmm. my time in the Marines, I did, I, I am considered to have served during what's called a, uh, a peacetime period. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it's called a peacetime period because we aren't really officially at war. The Iraq, the Iraq war is over, and yet, yeah. despite that, there is this constant presence of fear-mongering and everyone always saying that we have all of these things to be afraid of from these foreigners, especially under the current administration. I think it's super powerful to hear you say that as a veteran, Um, you know, because it's just, it's blown out of proportion, this fear to suit the agendas of these really conservative Republicans. And it's divisive. I think that your personal um, experience has been able to tie in to these issues in really illuminating ways. And it's been a really interesting discussion because at first we see what seems like two totally unique gendered racial issues. You see them as unrelated and separate, but when you break them down and you make these connections between them, um, you find that they're both you know, structured at least in America, by white nativism in American society. Both systems ultimately strip immigrant women of their dignity as mothers or even as humans, even their humanity. And American society is structured in favor of white people and against the inclusion of immigrants into positions of higher class status and power. Um, American society others people of color as outsiders even when they were born here because they conflate white with American. And so 
they oppose the influence of immigrants and they oppose them directly to exclude their experience from the prevailing definition of America's cultural identity. Um, yeah. And yet they call America the melting pot of different cultures and customs. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not. <laughs> it's actually not. Yeah, well, perhaps someday, right? Yeah, at least it's. it feels good to be able to identify these issues because they're they're invisible to a lot of people so this is a start i think it's work like this that is a start being able to draw these connections between systems that seem completely unrelated so thank you so much i really enjoyed this discussion indeed me too and progress is slow but i i enjoyed it myself and it was a pleasure Gigi. thank you so much all right thanks for tuning in to Intersectional Radio.